Amen? Well, this morning, if you want to open your Bible, we are going to be in the book of John. The book of John, chapter 1. Chapter 1. Let's pray, and then let's, uh, let's get into the text this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you this morning that we have opportunity to come before you and to learn of your love and walk through your son's life here on this planet. And so I pray as we read the word of God today that our lives would be enriched, that we would be invigorated, and that we would draw closer to you, Father. We know that you have a plan and a word for us this morning, and so I pray that we would hear it this morning. In your precious name we pray, amen. How many of you like meeting new people? Now, how many, a lot of you say, meet new people, and you're just like, no, nope, scares me to death. Don't want to have anything to do with it. I, um, I love going to restaurants where they make the servers wear name tags. I like name tags. You know why name tags are great? Because it makes everyone more friendly, doesn't it? Hello, my name is. So we get, it makes it more friendly. But how many of you have ever had that awkward moment of you're not sure, you go to a new party, you go to someplace new, and you're just not sure? Uh, where what you're not you don't know where to stand you don't know you don't know what the plan is for the night you, it's just uncomfortable isn't it is it I, I worked for a guy um, that he uh, you know and so my adult life I've only worked for pastors so I worked for a pastor that was really introverted and so he didn't like to meet new people at all and so that's always a challenge as a pastor not liking to meet new people. Um, and so what he would do is every place he would go he would take somebody he knew with him. And so we, he would always have like one or two people with him so that he was never alone meeting new people. And uh, it, may, it helped out. But it was always that awkward moment. And I think a lot of us feel awkward walking into strange and new situations. It's a big deal to visit a church for the first time. I mean, now, imagine if we all wore name tags. My, I grew up, our church had name tags. They were, they were permanent name tags. They, 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 get, they had to go to the board and get them to clip on and wear them every day or every week. And so, but I think there's something to it. It does make it feel a little friendlier, doesn't it? It doesn't, I mean, maybe we'll do a name tag Sunday because um, it would be fun to see how many of you actually know the name of the, somebody at church that you've gone to church with for five or ten years and you, you, you can quit referring to them as, you know, that usher. You know, the tall one, the bald one, right? The one with no hair, right? That's, that's the guy I'm talking about. Because that's how we describe people a lot, don't we? We describe them, you know, they're the short one with blonde hair. And listen, I, we've been here for six months. Everybody's new to me, right? So I know like 10 people's name. And that's, and that's a challenge for us. But it can get awkward when you've known somebody long enough that you should know their name. But you don't know their name. And so it's like, hey, brother. So good to see you, man. Sister. That's, why, that's, that's, that's really probably why we started Brother and Sister in church. Is because we, after, after like the second week of not knowing their name, all of a sudden it becomes really awkward, doesn't it? Yeah. And, because, and really, I think at, all, at some point we've all felt awkward meeting somebody new. And so, because I think... You know, we go to some place, we go to a party, we, just, we, 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 we feel like people are looking at us because we're new. We, we, here's, here's what I think of a confident person looks like. This is, this is my image of a confident person right there. When I think of confidence, I think of Tony Robbins. You've seen Tony Robbins, right? The self-help guru. But I, you know, most of us walking into a new party, we don't feel like Tony Robbins. We feel like this guy. We feel like Michael Scott. And we don't know whether or not, next slide there, guys. 
We, we don't know whether or not uh, we're doing a handshake, a hug, or a high five. Have you, isn't that an awkward moment where you, you go in for the handshake? They've gone in, you know what's even worse is when they've gone for the handshake and you've gone for the hug. You've gone, they've, they're, they're trying to shake you, and you're like, oh, wait a minute. And it's, it's just all sorts. Or I've gotten more kisses on the cheek here. It, it must, it must, is that a Northeast thing? Is that a New Jersey thing? Yeah, I told Pastor Joe to stop. Uh, and so, I don't mind it. I really don't, I don't mind it. But it's, it's we, we, we not, like, it's not Joe. I mean, it's just, <laughs> okay, let's, let's clear that one right up, okay? Joe has never tried to kiss me. And so, we're good with that. Uh, thanks. Thanks. But... It must, it's just, but it's, you get those awkward moments, and it just feels awkward meeting somebody new. No one, and no one likes to feel uncomfortable, do they? No one likes to feel that just that, that, that wait, we've missed social protocol. Well, you know, the beginning of John is really an introduction. It's Jesus meeting a whole bunch of new people, and a whole bunch of new people meeting Jesus. And we talked last week that John the Baptist, not the John the Apostle that wrote this, but John the Baptist came before Jesus to help prepare people to receive Jesus. That's, that's one of the primary things that we talked about last week. And so this week we're talking a little bit about Jesus meeting his disciples for the first time. That's where we're at. We're in John chapter 1, verses 32 to 51. Let me read those uh, this morning, and then we'll, back, we'll backtrack on through it. Uh, picking up in verse 32, it says, Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I have testified that this is God's chosen one. So let me pause right here. The Spirit came down like a dove. Sometimes we get this idea that it was actually a bird came down and landed on, on Jesus' shoulder like a dove that, that, that John the Baptist saw. But John the Baptist knew when he saw something like that, it would be... Uh, the image of the chosen one. And let's not forget that uh, John, it was not the first time he met Jesus. They're cousins. They knew each other, right? So they, they, had, they had that, they already had a relationship. And so I don't know that John knew Jesus was the Messiah because I, I have cousins growing up and I don't know that any of them uh, I would have looked at and said, yeah, that's what they're going to be doing. Because I, I, you get cousins like that, especially if they're really close they're like brothers and sisters, and you don't look at them that way. But here, John needed a sign, even though he knew Jesus, he needed a sign. And this is, we pick up in 35, it says, The next day, Jesus was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus, when John was there again with two of his disciples, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. 
Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethesda. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said, to, said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that, he added. Very truly I tell you, you will see the heavens open up and the angel of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So now let's back up and look at this a little bit. You know, when, when John, when Jesus came, he didn't have any disciples, did he? But John the Baptist did. John the Baptist was out calling for repentance and purity and holiness in the wilderness, and he had developed a following. And when Jesus came out and he saw the sign that Jesus was the anointed one, the chosen one of God, the one that would baptize people with the Holy Spirit. What did he declare? Look, here goes the Lamb of God. That takes care of a lot of introductions right there. John took care of a lot of introductions. And when he did that, we see that John's disciples realized John was just the precursor to the Messiah, to the Lamb of God. He was not the Messiah. These disciples of John's turned and started following Jesus. I was, as I was thinking about this, I was just reflecting. Imagine the humility of leadership for John the Baptist, who had a following, to say, here is somebody who is greater than me. This is who you should be following. And two of, the, two of his disciples turned and said, Teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus, I love Jesus' question. Jesus' question uh, turned around and said, what do you want? So two people say, we want to follow you. And Jesus said, what do you want? You know, the first thing Jesus did to these, these men that were already followers of somebody else is he tested them. Jesus tested them in verse 38. That was a question of, are you serious about wanting to follow me, is what he asked him. He tested them. Jesus said, what do you want? Where are you staying? And then they spent, as you look at it, they spent that day with him. Jesus didn't blindly accept those that had been following somebody else and said, hey, just come along. What do you do? He, he paused. I think that's significant. I think the significance of that is that uh, Jesus really helps people to understand this is going to be a big commitment. This is a big deal. Jesus tested them by asking, what do you want? He actually was saying, are you serious about wanting to be 
with me. That was a big deal. The next thing that we see as we're looking at there uh, in verse 42, it says, Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now that's a, it's a big deal. The first time you meet somebody to change their name, right? Imagine if we did that at church. No, you should now be called Bob. Your name is not John. You are now Bob. That would be awkward, wouldn't it? But here's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was changing them. Jesus changed Peter because Peter was already a follower of another leader. And he renamed him because he was changing his association or his allegiance. It's the same reason why we don't let baseball players wear jerseys from other teams, right? If you're, you're playing for the Yankees, I, I don't know who's a Yankee fan in here, but you're not wearing a jersey for the Mets, are you? Did I hurt somebody's heart over there? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not a Yankees fan. You, you, I, I'm, I'm, listen, listen, we're not getting political here. Uh, but uh, it's really Paul O'Neill's fault that I don't like the Yankees uh, because he played for the Cincinnati Reds for years and couldn't remember how to play baseball. And then he went and played for the Yankees. All of a sudden, he remembers how to play baseball. And so uh, that right there is enough for me to not like the Yankees. Paul O'Neill's fault. But here's what Jesus did. Jesus changed their allegiance and their, their alliances. And really, when he renamed Peter, he, here's what he's saying. If you're going to follow me, you can't hang on to all that old stuff. You can't hang on to that old stuff. You can't do it. And so here's the real interesting thing. The first two disciples that Jesus had weren't really his to begin with. They were John's. And one of them was Andrew, and we talked about Andrew a couple weeks ago. What did Andrew do as soon as he became a disciple? He went and got his brother Peter. And so the first few introductions for Jesus, Jesus didn't actually make those introductions. Jesus was gathering those that would be significant in the kingdom of heaven, but he was doing it with the help of others. How many of you know if Jesus needs help, we probably do too. Then here, I love in verse 43, says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Jesus invited Philip, right? He invited Philip uh, to come along with him. And Philip said, Okay, let's go. Now, did anyone, does anyone else, when you read it, feel, does it feel just a little odd when somebody says, Follow me? And they're like, All right, let's go. Because I, you know, they've got a job, they've got family, they got, but understand, and this is, I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit here, and that's okay. Um, these were men that were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for something different. The Holy Spirit had already been working in their lives, and they understood that there was something bigger than themselves, and that they were desiring to find the promises of God that had been given years and years before. They had not given up. They were looking. They were seeking something bigger, and that is significant. That is significant because when Jesus made that invitation to come and follow him, they're like, yep, we're going because I see something different in you. 
That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Jesus invited them along with them. And then Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethesda, and Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth is the son of Joseph. Now, when Peter heard that from his brother Andrew, he came right along. Nathaniel, well, Nathaniel responded like a lot of us respond when we hear something supernatural or amazing. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Can anything good come from there? See, that was, that was a pretty um, sarcastic and judgmental response, wasn't it? And it really reminded me of why sometimes it's so hard to meet people. Because people, they'll look at you and they'll label you based just upon what they see. Now, we've done this all before. I, I personally, and hopefully this doesn't offend anyone too greatly, uh, I have an aversion about people from Michigan um, because I'm from Ohio. And so, um, you know, and it's, it's a mutual feeling. You know, the, Woody Hayes, our great coach of Ohio State Buckeyes for years, would never say, he wouldn't say Michigan. You know what he would say? The team up north. The team up north. We didn't, and so, but how many times do you feel like you've been labeled because of where you're from, because of the way you dress, because of your skin color or your gender or your accent. People label you quickly. That's what Nathaniel did. Nathaniel said, Nazareth, Nazareth. And we can see in Acts chapter 2, all of Jesus' disciples that came from Galilee were labeled. They could tell them, aren't these men from Galilee? They could tell because of their accent. And it wasn't looked at favorably. And Nathaniel started that off saying, wait a minute. Is anything good coming from that part? That's, that's a big question, isn't it? That's a big deal, especially when John the Baptist, who was making disciples, says, here's the Lamb of God. But Nathaniel doesn't hear that. What does Nathaniel hear? Nathaniel hears you're from Nazareth. Bound to the past of nothing good comes from Nazareth. Oof. Maybe, you've, maybe you face that. Somebody wants to label you by your past. They want to look at you and say, well, I don't know. You're, you're from Brooklyn. You're from the Bronx. Right? You're from New Jersey. I told you guys, when I first moved here, I mean, you guys kept, guys kept on asking me, why do you want to move to New Jersey? I finally asked, do you like living here? <laughs> but people have an attitude based upon where you're from, don't they? They hear your accent. And they make a decision about you. They see the way you dress. Maybe, they, maybe, you, maybe you, you're filled with tattoos, right? Sleeves down. People look at you and they make a judgment. Maybe you've made a judgment about somebody based upon the way, way they look. 
People label others, and they do it quick. They do it quick. You know what? People label others uh, for several reasons. Pride, fear, insecurity, ignorance. They all cause us to want to belittle somebody else. We look at them and say, they're not as good as me because of this. Man, that could be such a divisive thing. You know, if we want to be a, a welcoming, friendly, loving church, we're going to have to quit looking at people. And we're going to have to start seeing the children of God. We can't worry so much about where somebody's from. We can't worry so much about how they dress, whether they understand. We talked on Wednesday night about outward boundary spiritual markers that we create that people understand what it looks like to be part of the team. Listen, you know what it takes to be a Christian? It's not based upon what you wear. It's not based upon your education. It's not based upon anything other than your relationship with Jesus Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. And if we judge people based upon things other than whether they follow Christ or not, guess what? We're putting ourselves in the place of God because God has already established the criteria. We don't get to add to the criteria of what it means to be a Christian. Jesus has already laid it out, hasn't he? But see, when we get prideful, we get fearful, insecure, we belittle other people. And then we feel superior when we find the flaw in someone's reputation. We start feeling better about ourselves. And remember that picture of confidence of Tony Robbins, a strong chin. We don't want to feel awkward, right? And so if we can feel superior, we don't feel awkward anymore. We don't feel like we have uh, gotten out of place, out of turn. Really, as, we were, as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of an old poem. I would love to say I read this in literature, but I didn't. Um, I saw it in a Disney cartoon, but hey, you know, let's just be honest, right? It's a cartoon from 1946. It was actually a poem from the 1800s. How many of you have heard Casey at the Bat? Casey at the Bat. Casey at the Bat, to me, is the perfect picture of confidence. Now, I don't want to read the whole thing uh, because it's long, but here's, here we're going to pick up. The, uh, the, the Mudville Nine were behind. They were, they were behind. I'm going to give you a quick summary. Uh, and when Casey came up to the plate to bat, now understand, Casey was seen as the salvation of the team. He was the one that was going to win. He was the one that everybody knew you could count on, and Casey knew. That was exactly what they thought. There was an ease in Casey's manner as he stepped into his place. There was a pride in Casey's bearing and a smile on Casey's face. And when responding to the cheers, he lightly doffed his hat. No stranger in the crowd could doubt was Casey at the bat. 
10,000 eyes were on him as he rubbed his hands with dirt. 5,000 tongues applauded him when he wiped them on his shirt. Then while writhing pitcher ground the ball into his hip, defiance gleamed in Casey's eyes. A sneer curled Casey's lip. And now the leather-covered sphere came hurtling through the air, and Casey stood watching it in haughty grandeur there. Close by the sturdy batsman and the ball in heated sped, the, that ain't my style, said Casey. Strike one, the umpire said. From the benches black with people, there were, went up a muffled roar like the beating of the storm waves on a stern and distant shore. Kill him! Kill the umpire, shouted somebody on the stand. And it's likely they'd have killed him had not Casey raised his hand. With the smile of Christian charity, great Casey's uh, face shone. He stilled the rising turmoil and bade the game go on. He signaled to the pitcher, and once more, the spheroid flew. And Casey still ignored it, and the umpire said, strike two. Fraud, cried the maddened thousands, and echoed, answered fraud. But one scornful look from Casey, and the audience was awed. They saw his face grown stern and cold. They saw his muscles strain, and they knew that Casey would not let the ball go by again. The sneer is gone from Casey's lip. His teeth are clenched in hate. He pounds with cruel violence his bat upon the plate. And now the pitcher holds the ball and he lets it go. And now the air is shattered by the force of Casey's blow. And somewhere in this favored land, the sun is shining bright. And the band is playing somewhere, and somewhere hearts are light. And somewhere men are laughing, and somewhere children shout. But there is no joy in Mudville, mighty Casey has struck out. Casey came to the bat confident of his own ability and who he was and what he could do, yet he struck out. See, when we fill ourselves with pride, like Nathaniel that said, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? What are we doing? We're belittling somebody else to make ourselves feel superior. We see people on the outside. We see superficial things. But Jesus sees it, sees us as we are. So Philip tells Nathaniel, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathaniel, this is verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. A couple of things here. I saw you underneath the fig tree. It's not like Jesus was standing across the field and saw Nathaniel. He supernaturally saw Nathaniel. He was revealed by the Spirit 
And here's what uh, the commentators believe was meant by Jesus' word when it says, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. There actually has been a lot of study about this. They believe that Nathaniel, while sitting under the tree, was actually reading the history and story of Israel. And when you said, here is an Israelite, the true Israelite, where there is no deceit, they think he was contrasting him with Jacob, who was filled with deceit. That is why it was such a unique revelation, because at that point, Nathaniel realized Jesus saw him as he really is. And Jesus saw him from afar when he was not anywhere near him. Jesus sees us as we really are. The world's going to label us. The world's going to uh, put a, a, a moniker on us that says we're not worthy, we're not good enough, we don't measure up. But Jesus sees us as we really are. And when Jesus saw Nathaniel for who he really was, here's what Nathaniel said. He said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And this is where we know that this was a supernatural act because Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Jesus acknowledges that it, this was a supernatural moment and then gives a promise. Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, See, when we become confident in ourselves, we lack the humility to hear what Jesus is saying. We find ourselves separating ourselves from others, and we lack the ability to see people as Jesus sees them. All we see them by is their past. All we see them by is where they're from. All we see them by is the skin of their color, their gender, how they dress, their accent. We see them by all of the things that make us feel superior. Nathaniel saw Jesus not as the Lamb of God. He saw Jesus as somebody from Nazareth. And nothing good comes from Nazareth. Much like Casey at the bat, we can get confident in our own abilities. We can give ourselves a puffed-up heart and mind and start thinking of ourselves more than we should. Now, does that mean that we're, we're worthless and dirt? No. But we have to understand where our confidence needs to come from. Ephesians 6.10, what does it tell us? It says, finally be strong. Finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. We don't need to be confident in ourselves. We need to be confident in Jesus. We need to be confident in who we are in Jesus. We need to be confident in who Jesus has created us to be. We need to be confident in the fact that we are God's chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, that he has called us to greater things than what we see before us. And when we find our confidence in Jesus, we can, be let, we can begin letting go of the labels that we put on other people. We can stop comparing ourselves to others. 
We can stop worrying about whether somebody makes more money than us, whether they drive a nicer car than us, whether they, uh, maybe they talk better than us, maybe they dress better than us. We can stop worrying about all those things. And we can just start worrying about what we are in Jesus. Because when we find our identity in Jesus, our confidence is found in his view of us, not the world's judgment. And so what do you care if somebody that isn't Jesus thinks you're not as good as them? Why does it matter? It doesn't, does it? Because Jesus thinks you are valuable. He thinks you're a precious child. God tells us that we are co-heirs with Christ. You're precious. You're precious. And so quit worrying about what other people think. And at the same time, quit judging other people based upon what you think. Jesus thinks that they are as valuable as you are. And so you need to live like that. Our confidence in Christ is not arrogance. When we find our strength and encouragement in Jesus, we can walk with a boldness and an authority that says, I am God's child. He loves me. I don't have to be insecure. I don't have to be concerned with my salary. I don't have to be concerned whether the people down the street have a nicer house than me. I don't have to compete with anybody because God loves me as much right now as he's ever going to love me. And so we have to keep in mind that God loves us more than we could ever imagine. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. If we're going to be confident and if we're going to boast, here's what it says. We do, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with someone who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did not get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about the work already done in someone else's territory, but let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Our confidence is not found in ourselves. Our confidence is found in Jesus. And our confidence should be high. Because you are loved by God. You are precious to God. And as we see in John chapter 1, when we view ourselves as God views us, we don't have to worry about any more awkward meetings. We don't have to be insecure. You don't have to be fearful. You don't have to be prideful. 
We don't have to belittle others. When we start seeing people the way Jesus sees them, and when we start seeing ourselves as Jesus sees us. And I really think that's the harder one, just to be honest with you. I think it's easy for people to accept somebody's precious to God. But sometimes it's hard for us to accept that we are precious to God. I am precious to God. You are precious to God. But see, you know your past. You know your history. You know all the struggles that you've gone through. You know all the imperfections in your life. I don't know any of them. And so it's easy for me to look at you and say you're precious to God. But it can be hard for you. Because you know where you've fallen short. But I want to tell you, don't be bound to your past. Jesus loves you. And you say, Pastor Spencer, you don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't. Jesus does, and he still loves you. I don't know it. He does. God is eternal. So what does that mean? It means that he sees the beginning of time and the end of time. And so everything that you've done, everything that you're going to do, he already knows about it. Yet, what does the word of God tell us? Is that God so loved the world that he sent his son. And so does that mean that you just keep on doing wrong? Whatever? No, it doesn't mean that. But you need to understand you are valuable to God. You are precious to God. And so do not beat yourself up. Give it to God and see how he sees you. Here's a scary thought for Nathaniel. When he came up and Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. There's a good chance that Jesus saw Philip and Nathaniel under the fig tree too. And we know Jesus knows everything. So he knew that Nathaniel said, Nazareth, what good thing could come from there? But he still invited Nathaniel, didn't he? He knows the things that you've done. He knows them. But he still invites you. Still invites you. And so this morning, here's my encouragement. If we're going to boast, let us boast in the Lord. If we're going to be confident, let us be confident in who Jesus sees us to be. And let's live as though everyone is valuable to God. Because they are. They are valuable to God.